0: What a great day. And I sitting there praying, God, don't let me mess this day up. It's been so good already. Turn, if you would, to the third chapter of the book of Joshua. We're going to be in Joshua for a while. As I think this is where God has said, I want you to just kind of camp a little while till we get this building going good and maybe finish. I don't know. But anyway, third chapter of Joshua. Today, as we think about last week, we talked about what it took to cross over Jordan. And uh, this, this week, I want us to think about this topic, living on the right side of the Jordan. Are you living in Canaan land? Now, there's a couple of things that we need to reiterate and just kind of remind ourselves of. One is the picture of Canaan. And Canaan is not a picture of heaven. I know there are some songs that say that, and there are some gospel songs i i don't know if you appreciate it or not but i want to tell you uh every once in a while somebody will say to me I wonder why we don't sing this song well it's 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 not accurate and brother aaron does a marvelous job of keeping the 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 song scriptural i mean you know one of my favorite songs is lord build me a cabin in the corner of glory land it's just not accurate you you know good grief <laughs> uh, so uh, in in the Bible Canaan represents victory it represents the spirit-filled life. You say, "Well, why can't it represent heaven?" Well, there's wars going on over there. The battle of Jericho and Ai and different ones. There's no wars going on in heaven, folks. when you get there, buddy, it's it's peace that passeth all understanding. That's that's a, this is a spirit of the uh, a picture of the spirit-filled life that we can do it. So as Christians, we've We've come out of Egypt. We're coming up through a wilderness. We're headed toward Canaan, and we ought to be ready. Actually, we ought to already be there. Uh, it's not a picture of where we're going to live one day in the sweet by and by. It's a picture of where we can live right now in the nasty now and now. I'll never forget. You know, there's some things you get old you wonder, what, how does his mind operate? I mean, I can't remember what happened five minutes ago sometimes, uh, but I can remember what as a kid growing up in the 50s, uh, we would get up every Sunday morning and uh, there was no TV, Uh, we didn't have a TV, Uh, but the radio was always tuned, daddy would be sitting there in the big chair, he'd be reading his Bible and his Sunday school lesson, he was like a lot of y'all, he waited to Sunday morning to do it. And... uh, he, he uh, would be reading that lesson and, and the Word of God. And on the radio would be a station out of Nacogdoches playing gospel music. I don't remember the name of the program, but there were people like the, you know, the godly people. Like the Hemp Hills and the Dixie Echoes and the Statesmen and, you know. And every once in a while, uh, old uh, Happy Goodman and his family would come through. And they would sing a song that they were well known for. It said this, Egypt was once my home. I was a slave. Helpless and sin did wrong, love, light, did crave. But when I looked up to heaven's dome, Christ came to save. I'm living in Canaan now. And the chorus said, living on Canaan's side, Egypt behind, cross over Jordan wide, gladness to find. My soul is satisfied, no longer blind, living with Jesus up in Canaan right now. Well, that's, that, that we're living, what Christ is saying here is, he's got more for us than probably what we even dream about. He wants us to cross over, so that, that's the picture. Then there's a possibility here that you have to look at, uh, because the sad thing about Joshua 3, as we read it, is uh, it should have happened 40 years ago. 40 years All the Israelites had sinned. They were at Kadesh Barnea, and the spies were sent out. There were 12 of them. Two of them came back, said, it's just like they said, let's go get it. God said we could have it. God said he would deliver it to us. But the other 10 gave a negative report. They said they're too big. There's too many obstacles. There's no way in the world we can do that. Well, that hat got off. He, he spurned him. It tested him. He said, they failed to remember what I've done for them. So he said, everybody over 20 years old would die. 40 years, one year for each day the spies were in Canaan. Even Moses and Aaron had sinned and were not allowed to go in. Now, here's the deal. If you can be living in Canaan... That means you can choose not to live in Canaan. You can be in Canaan or you can be over here on the other side. You've got this choice. You see, far too many Christians today are satisfied with being in. They just don't want to cross over. It's content to say that we're saved, but we don't know anything about the Word of God and the Bible. It's content to say we're saved, but we have very little passion for the things of God. Content to say we're saved, but also content to live like, act like, walk like, talk like, dress like the world, and want to be a part of it. It's content content to say that we're saved, and we're in the family of God, but we don't even know the power of answered prayer. We'll all agree that the most important thing we can do is pray. That's where the power comes from. And then we'll spend all day and never pray. It's content to say we're saved, we're in the family of God, but we've never told anybody about Jesus. Content to say we're saved, we're in the family of God, but our homes and our marriages are in shambles. It's content to be in, but not wanting to cross over. I want to tell you something, folks. God's not going to make you be victorious. But He will take you and He will lead us to victory if we'll follow Him. Then then just a a moment. This is just the introduction now. I'll get wound up here in a minute. There's a price of living in Canaan land. There's a price. Now, God was going to do all the work. He was going to do all the work. He just wanted them to be actively involved. God was going to stop up the headwaters at the Jordan River during the flood stage, but He did it when the priests had enough faith to step their toes out into the Jordan River. God knocked over the walls of Jericho but he used the shout of God's people to do it. Now write this down. Guys, get out your mascara pen and write it on the end of one of them envelopes there. All right? Write this down. Whenever God gives you an opportunity for spiritual growth, the cost in obedience is always great. When God says, come on, let's go, the cost is going to be great. Did you get that? Now here's the second part of it the cost of disobedience is always greater. The cost of obedience is great, but the cost of disobedience is even greater. Four decades earlier, the Israelites rightly determined that the cost of crossing the Jordan River and going into Canaan land would be high. It would be very high. But you see, they didn't calculate and uh, determine the cost of not going over. Churches get into trouble when we calculate the cost of moving forward. And brother, I'll tell you, anytime the church wants to buy a pencil sharpener, somebody's going to want to count the cost. Can we really afford that? Churches get into trouble when we calculate rightly the cost of moving forward, but we don't calculate the cost of staying behind. Marriages get into trouble, disillusioned, angry couples. They calculate the high cost of reconciling. They say, we don't want to go to that extent. But they fail to calculate the even higher cost of divorce. Businesses fail. Penny-pinching businessmen calculate the high cost of expansion. But they fail to calculate the even higher cost of lagging behind. It'll even go with our cars. Car engines fail. When owners calculate the cost of a regular oil and filter change, and they say, we just don't need to do that. That's just too much. Just continue every time you turn around. We're having to change oil. But they fail to calculate the higher cost of a new engine. Many Christians live average, mediocre lives because they count the cost of obedience, but they don't count the cost of disobedience. Now look in Joshua chapter 3. Beginning in verse one, would you stand, please, in honor of God's holy inspired, inherent, all-sufficient word? <clears throat> Joshua three, verse one. And Joshua, and if, you're, if you can't stand, you feel free to sit down. All right? This, I'm going to read this whole chapter, 17 verses. You won't bother me at all, and God knows your heart, you can sit down and be with the Lord just as good as you can, standing up. Joshua rose early in the morning, and they removed from Shittim and came to Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there four before they passed over. And it came to pass after three days, the officers went through the host. And they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests of the Levites bearing it, then ye shall remove from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about two thousand cubits by measure." Come not near unto it, that you may know the way by which you must go. For ye have not passed this way before. And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves. For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Joshua spake unto the priests, saying, Take up the ark of the covenant. Pass over before the people. And they took up the ark of the covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. And thou shalt command the priests that bear the ark of the covenant, saying, When ye are come to the brink of the water of the Jordan, ye stand still in Jordan. Joshua said unto the children of Israel, Come here, hear the words of the Lord your God. Joshua said, Hereby ye shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, and the Perizzites, the Girgashites, and the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth passeth over before you into Jordan. Now therefore take you twelve men out of the tribes of Israel, out of every tribe of man, and it shall come to pass as soon as the souls of the feet of the priests that bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of Jordan, that the waters of Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above, and they shall stand upon an heap. And it came to pass, verse 14, when the people removed from their tents to pass over Jordan, and the priests bearing the ark of the covenant before the people, and as they that bear the ark were come into the, unto the Jordan, and the feet of the priests that bear the ark were dipped in the brim of water, For Jordan overfloweth all its banks all the time of harvest. That the waters which came down from above stood and rose up upon a heap very far from the city Adam. That is beside Zaretan. And those that came down toward the sea of the plain, even the salt sea, failed and were cut off. And the people passed over right against Jericho. And the priests that bare the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of jordan and all the israelites passed over on dry ground until all the people were passed clean over jordan god would you add your blessings to the reading of your word would it speak to our hearts use it today to draw us closer to you dear god than we've ever been before use it today to touch the soul that needs to be saved before it's eternally too late. Use it today to put the family back together. Lord, that's going through shambles right now. Use it today for those who are wanting to rebel against the Word of God. Use it today, Lord, in any way you see fit to honor and glorify Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, I just want to ask you a question, and then we'll just kind of take off from there. What kind of people... What kind of people cross over into Canaan? I mean, what kind of people walk in victory? They're mature in their faith. They cease to do the wilderness wonders there, and they live their lives on Canaan land. What kind of people do that? Let me give you three things. All right, number one is this. People who live in Canaan long for the message of the Lord. They long for the message of... Of the Lord, Psalm 19:10 says, "More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold; sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb." It ought to touch every Baptist. What he's saying here is it, 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 that it's better than money and better than food. Baptists do both on, the, on both of those. But the Word of God is even better than all of that. Psalm 1:2, His delight is in the law of the Lord. He meditates day and night. Psalm 119, 24, Thy testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. I love to hear my children's voices, especially when they were little. I love to hear my grandkids' voices now. I've got a little box of nerds that Isabel wrote Papa on. Uh, I'll not dare open that. I'll save that. I'll be buried with that. Uh, I'm just telling you, I love to hear their voice. Let me tell you, listen to me this morning. If you're a blood-bought child of God, you ought to love to hear the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. You ought to long to hear Jesus speak. You say, well, He's never spoken to me. Maybe not in that way, but He speaks through His Word. But see, if you're not in the Word, you can't hear Him speak. He speaks through his, his local New Testament church, but if you're not in church, you can't hear him speak. I tell you, uh, they assembled for the Word of God. Verse 9 says, the children of Israel, come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. That's still good, good uh, advice today. Come here. Hear the Word of the Lord your God. I had a guy this week say, Preacher, do you have to go to church to be a Christian I said, no, no. But you have to go to church to be a good Christian. Now, if you want to live in mediocre and you you don't care one way or the other, you don't have to go to church. You don't have to serve the Lord. You don't have to read the Bible. You don't have to pray. You don't have to do any of that. You can just be saved as by smoke. Some folk are going to be that way. The fact that they don't want to go to church probably already classifies them as somebody that's not going to be victorious if even saved. But you'll never walk in victory as a believer unless you're involved in the local New Testament work that the Lord has. I mean, a player that never goes to practice, he's not going to make varsity. i got news for you. An employee that never goes to work, he's probably not going to be a good employee. A husband that never goes home, he's not going to be much of a husband, ladies. You want to walk in victory? You want to to walk in a spirit-filled life? Let me tell you what you do. You go home sometime this afternoon or tonight, and you get yourself in a little quiet closet and by yourself somewhere where nobody can interrupt. And you just say, now, God, that preacher we got has kind of put it on me that I ought to be in a life group. That church we got down there, they got life groups for all ages, even in the nursery." They're teaching them the music of the Lord. And they're teaching them the Word of God. Even in the babies, they're teaching them that. And the preschool, and the children, and the youth, and the adults, they've even got a class for people who are so old, they don't even know what their name is. God, They've got a class for everybody. And and they're going to gather next Sunday morning about 915 And and they've asked me to come. They're going to open the word of God and they're going to study the word of God. God, do you think I ought to go? Just get alone and ask God that. Lightning may hit, (laughs) but (laughs) that's how you're going to walk in victory. They they assemble. They accepted the word. They knew it was a word. God confirmed it and he affirmed it. Verses 7 through 13 talks about the signs and wonders. He said, "Uh, Joshua, I'm going to, man, I'm going to make them know that you're really my man. Now, we don't push a lot of signs and wonders today. The best thing you could do is, like in the book of Acts, there was a group of people called the Bereans. And they would get together and they'd go home after the prophet preached and they'd look at the Word, they'd study the passage day by day, line by line, precept by precept. And then you say, if he's preaching what the Word of God says, then I need to obey it. If he's not, then I need to go and talk with him. You say, preacher, do you agree with John MacArthur? Do you agree with Charles Stanley and James Merritt, John Hagee, W.A. Crystal? I'll make it real simple for you. I don't even agree with what Charles Hunt says all the time. (laughs) Has nothing to do with whether I agree with it or not. And then they applied the Word of God. They did, verse 16 and 17, what the man of God told them to do. There are a lot of people willing to listen, but they're not willing to live out and long for the Word of God. And that's what he's saying here. Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. But if you don't turn it on, it's no good. Your word is my counselor, the word of God says. But but, but if you don't listen to the counselor, it's no good. Your word is sharper than a two edged sword. But unless you take that sword out of the sheath, it's useless. We've got to long for the word of God. Let me tell you, when you begin to long for the word of God, it'll change your church attendance, (laughs) it'll change your Sunday school attendance. It'll change the priorities in your life. It'll change your TV schedule. It'll change your family devotion time. People who live in Canaan, they long for the Word of God. But let me tell you, secondly, people who live in Canaan lead on the Lord's, lean on the Lord's might. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to tell us here this morning that we need to work harder. I'm not trying to say that we need to put some self-effort into this. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying, you know, I heard a guy once, I say, Preacher, God's just led me. I'm, I'm going I'm to be sold out. I'm going to get up in the morning at 4.30 and read the book of Leviticus. And I just laughed. I thought, you idiot. You won't get through the first chapter and you'll be asleep again. That's not what God is saying here. Really what he's talking about here is death. The Jordan is a picture of death. Paul said it like this in Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about like baptism, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. You're going down into the Jordan River on dry ground. You're coming up out of it. We talk about it when Brother Case baptizes or I baptize. We talk about into newness of life. That's what he's talking about here. There's a requirement here. Verse 5 talks about of holiness. He said, Joshua said to the people, Sanctify. Some of your versions may say, Consecrate, the same thing. It means clean up. It means clean up. It means prepare yourself. Get on a bath. Put on some clean clothes. In other words, he's basically saying this. If you want to go somewhere you've never been, you're going to have to do some things you've never done. That's what he's saying here. The tattered clothes and the worn-out shoes, they're all right out there in the wilderness. But if you're going to live in Canaan land, you're going to have to do things you've never done before. No Christian will ever walk in holiness, in victory, without holiness. 1 John 1.8 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. One thing I've discovered even at 64 years old is I never mature to the point that I outgrow the need for Repentance. Never. I told an off-color joke in the parking lot the other day out here with some of our men. I didn't even make it to the truck. God said, you ought to be ashamed. I said, God, I am ashamed. Thank God, though, if we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Have mercy. There's a requirement. You see... The closer I get to Christ, the more I find myself repenting. Now, you may never do this, but I tell you, I I come to the Lord sometimes and say, Lord, I'm sorry that I've got to come to you again. I know it sounds like all I'm doing is just coming and asking you to forgive me and coming and bring this up and coming and bring. Lord, I'm sorry. When you first get saved, God deals with the big stuff. Some of y'all, God's delivered from drunkenness. Some of y'all, he's delivered from running around and illicit sex and all of those things, being unfaithful. But as you mature, God begins to deal with you about things we don't want to deal with. Your attitude. Your emotions. (laughs) Nothing drags us down like unconfessed sin. In a few chapters, in chapter 6 and 7, in Joshua, we're going to read about a guy named Achan. Had some unconfessed sin. You say, well, he ought to have paid for it. Well, he not only paid for it, the whole nation of Israel paid for it. Many people lost their lives. Why? Because there was sin in the camp. Now, I'm I'm not living in a dream world. I know that. I know I'm preaching this morning, and some of y'all are saying, bless God, would he hurry up so I can get out of here? I know that. But I want to tell you, I just wish I could remind you that being a blood-bought Christian and a member of this church, you really ought to take that pretty serious. Paul... <laughs> How, how great a Christian could you be than Paul? Tremendous Christian. You know what he said? Oh, wretched man that I am. I think probably the ones that wrote much of our New Testament, oh, wretched man. Now, w- w- when's the last time, and I'll get off of this, that you just got before God and, and you begin to confess your sins to God? Now, now listen to me. I'm not talking about those umbrella sins. Lord, if I've done anything wrong, and the Lord says, if. That's what he says to me. Lord, if I've done it, if. Are you out of your mind? I'm not talking about those kinds of sins. I'm talking about getting along with God and beginning to name the things that you know. And then if you can't name them, God, would you show me what they are so I can deal with them? Then there's got to be humility. Verse 10, Joshua said, Hereby you'll know that the living God is among you. He'll be without fail. Drive out before you all of the different groups of the people there. When God moves, it doesn't cost us. Uh, it doesn't uh, mean that we're going to stick out our chest. It doesn't mean we're going to break our arm. I'd reach around and pat myself on the back, but I can't reach it. It doesn't mean we're going to break our arm patting ourselves on the back. doesn't mean we're going to brag. I'll tell you what it means. It means the same question you got when you see a turtle on top of a fence post. You know he didn't get there by himself. And if you're walking with God in Canaan land, let me just tell you right now, you didn't get there by yourself. God's the one that delivered you and brought you to that. The Christian living in holiness doesn't do it by themselves. God is willing to do something for you that you cannot do yourself. The Jordan River is in flood state, probably a mile wide. And then verse 17 says they walk through on dry ground. He said, now as you're walking through, get one man from every tribe to pick up a stone down there in the middle of that Jordan River and you bring it over to Canaan's side there, and you pile them up, because the day's going to come. The day's going to come when y'all are going to be having a picnic out there, and your kids are going to look at it and say, well, what mean these stones? What were these stones here for? And you're going to be able to say, listen, those stones, see, those kids had not known about, they'd never seen uh, the Red Sea open up. They had never seen firsthand the, uh, the, the Egyptian army destroyed in that water there. Uh, They've they not seen the covey of quail. They're going to they're, they're gonna ask Daddy or, or Papa or Granddad, what, what does all this stuff mean? And you're going to be able to say it's a reminder of us, to us, of what God has already done. Man, maybe you need to go home this afternoon just spend a little time reminding yourself what God's already done. And then what he's doing now. (laughs) And I want to tell you, I don't care who you are. The best is still yet to come. When he comes again for us. It's a wonderful thing. I wish it happened more. It didn't happen that much in, in our lives. It did some. When your kids would come and say, Daddy, why do we do these things? Or, Daddy, why do we not do these things? Now, you know, our kids were just like your kids. They beat you up saying, well, Johnny's parents let him do that. And you say, well, you ain't Johnny. Mm. But when we live on Canaan's side, one day, somebody's going to come up to you. And they're going to say, why, why do you do what you do? Why why do you live the Christian life? Why do you go to that church three or four times a week? Why do you spend your hard-earned money there? Why are your priorities so different? Why are you still hanging on and fighting for that marriage that ought to have been done away with a long time? Why are you still holding out hope that that prodigal child is going to come home one day? I'll tell you why I'm still fighting. I'll tell you why I'm still praying and why I'm still running the race because one day I too was sinking deep in sin far from the peaceful shore but the Master heard within and saved me. That's why I'm holding on. That's why we ought to all be holding on. It's the grace of God. We ought to long for God and the Word of God. Lean on the might of God. Let me give you the last thing. People who live on Canaan's side, look to the Lord's mercy. Mm-hmm. Twelve times here, there's a reference to the ark, pronouns or directly. We're not talking about the boat here. We're talking about the Ark of the Covenant, a little old thing, probably if you went down to Walmart and bought a toy chest for your kids about that size. had rings on both sides, and, and, and the, there was a pole that went through, and the, the priest would carry it there, and the Ark would lead the way. Verse 3 said, They commanded the people, saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priest, the Levites, bearing it, then you'll remove from your place... And go after it. Don't get too close now. You need to stay back about 2,000 cubits. That's probably 10 football fields. The reason you've got to stay back is because there's so many people in, in the army, in, in the Israelites there. And they all must see the ark because as they looked at the ark, that's how they traveled. Don't get too close Hebrews 9, 4 tells us what was in the box. There was a, a golden jar or a golden bowl, and in it was manna. And then there was a tablets of the Ten Commandments, and then there was the rod of Aaron. And each three, each one of those three, are really pictures of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even back in the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments were in there literally following the Word of God. How we need today... To follow the Word of God. Don't expect the world to do it. Don't expect Congress to do it. I tell you, the people that I pray for as much as I do anybody else, I'm serious, are the teachers in the public schools. Because I know we got Christian teachers, but don't expect those guys down there in Austin writing this literature to honor the Lord. They're not going to do it. Thank God we've still got teachers that slip it in. God's Scripture. Now, now let me just tell you this. Sometimes I got to hurry. Sometimes it's not going to make any sense. It ain't going to make no sense. I mean, <laughs> Moses said, "God, they're grumbling. There's no water." God said, "Take that rod over there and strike that rock." That don't make no sense. That makes no sense whatsoever. Don't sit here and tell me it does. That's crazy. I, I think about that penniless widow. And, and the prophet said, what, what are you doing? She said, well, I got enough oil left here and enough corn that I, I'm going to make one last little piece of bread for me and my son. And we're going to lay down and die. We're broke. Think about the, one that, the, the, the widow that uh, they'd come for her kids and all of that. And he said, I'll tell you what you do you uh you make me a cake first and then you send your sons out after some some pots as many of them as you can find empty and we're going to take this little old bitty bottle you got here that's dried up ain't got a thing in it left after you've made my cake and you're going to fill all them pots up with this water now you tell me that makes sense How about Gideon? God said, Gideon, you've got way under too many people for this battle. Let's cut it on down. And he gets it down to face three armies with literally thousands of people with 300 men. (laughs) And then, I wish I had time to stay on this. He beats them up with a tea pitcher and a candle and a trumpet. (laughs) Who in the world Ever heard of going to battle? You said, you put that gold-plated box on those poles, and when their toes touch the Jordan River, that thing's going to back up the headwaters. may not make any sense today. Listen to me what God's telling you to do. It may not make any sense when God tells you to stay in what you think is a dead marriage. But you better listen to God. It may not make any sense when God tells you to love your enemies and do good to those that despisefully use you. <laughs> it may not make any sense when God says, bring you tithe and offering, and then I'm going to multiply what's left of yours, and what's left of yours is going to go farther than the 100% did at the first time. It may not make any sense to understand that God says the secret to getting... Is giving my kids would do things I told them not to do and they would usually come across with this same line well daddy I just thought that you ever heard that and I'd say son it ain't your job to think it's your job to obey and it could be here this morning that God is ringing some of your bells and saying, Look, I didn't call you to think. I called you to obey what I told you to do. Mm. The Word of God, the supply of God, the golden jar or bowl filled with manna, they'd gathered it up six days a week, And he said, as you cross the Jordan River, understand this. Just remember, if you'll fix your eyes on me, I'll supply every need you've got. I'll supply it all. David said it like this. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or begging for bread. Paul said, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. David said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Literally in the Hebrew, that means I have need of nothing. You see, he'll give you food when you're hungry. He'll give you, when you're an orphan, he'll give you fatherhood. When you're broke, he'll give you finances. When you're lonely, he'll give you friends. When you're despaired, he'll give you fellowship. When you're in bondage, he'll give you freedom. When you repent of your sin, he'll give you forgiveness. Everything you need. He said, fix your eyes on me. last thing God's system there was that table of the ten commandments that's God's word there was that jar of manna that's God's supply but there also was Aaron's rod Aaron's rod now you have to go back I don't have time this morning but if you go back to numbers 16 and 17 I think it is or 15 and 16 somewhere in there I think it's 16 and 17 you'll find a guy named Korah Korah comes to Moses, and he said, Let me tell you something, big boy. We about had all of your pastoring we need. You ain't no better than us. We're going to do what we want to do. You're no holier than we are, and we're fed up with all of this. You know what God said? God said, I'm going to destroy all of them. Wipe them out. Moses, though, does what he did many times. He stood in the gap for them. He said, God, please don't destroy all of them. Take me. Let them live. God said, all right, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. We'll have a little, a little uh, come-to-Jesus meeting. Amen. Amen. If you're for Korah, dear brother Korah, you stand over here with Korah. And if you're for brother Moses, you stand over here with brother Moses. They did. I don't know. I think I'd have probably been... Standing like this. But the Bible says the earth opened up and swallowed all of Korah and his people. Now that, I mean, you know, I I think right there, whoa, whoa, whoa. But you know what the Bible says? The children of Israel grumbled because Moses did it. So then God says, I tell you what, we're going to do one more thing just to make it clear in your mind what I'm trying to get across to you. I want every tribe, every one of the 12 tribes, to bring their stick, a stick, a dead stick, or a cane, or anything, dead. And you write the name of your tribe on that cane, on that stick that's dead. And when you come to the tribe of Levi, you write Aaron on that stick. And then we're going to wait till in the morning and whichever one of them buds, blooms. Ain't none of them going to bud or bloom. They're dead. God said, you wait till in the morning. And which one of them buds and blooms, that's the one you follow. They got out there the next morning and the rod of Aaron was budding. It was blooming. Can you believe that? I don't know about you, but uh, boy, in these days today, sometimes I wonder, who am I supposed to follow? Lord, I don't want to be the pastor of this church. If I make the wrong move, it could be disastrous and Lord, how do I know who to follow? How do I know who to listen to? I've got preacher friends telling me all to do this. I've got competing voices. I've got counsel from others. And, and I think God is saying, bring all your counselors. Bring your brother-in-law. Bring the other preacher friends. And lay them down here. And whichever one of these is going to bud, that's who you follow. You say, there's none of them going to bud. You say, yes, there is. You see, there was a root, Isaiah talks about it in verse 11, chapter 11, the root of David. That root of David was put in a tomb after he was crucified. He was buried. But on that third day, he arose. And he's the one we're to follow. No one else. He's the one to follow. He began to breathe again. He began to live again. He began to bud again. There's one more song I just want to give you. I had never heard this song. It's called Living in Canaan Now. F.B. Jalipsy, the very famous songwriter, wrote this a long time ago. This is what he said. I used to think that Canaan was somewhere up on high where I perhaps might go whenever I came to die. But when I came to God... And at his cross did bow, I found salvation through the blood. I'm living in Canaan now. (laughs) I'm living in Canaan now. I'm living in Canaan now. I'm doing well. I'm glad to tell. I'm living in Canaan now. Can you say that today? This invitation this morning as we prepare for it, if you're here today without Jesus Christ, Oh, i am tell you, the devil may have you wrapped up and the fetters around you are strong, but I'm telling you, greater is he that's in this place this morning, the Lord Jesus Christ, than the devil ever thought about being. You say, preacher, I don't understand all this. I, I don't either. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. I don't understand a whole lot about the Word of God. There are more mysteries in here than I can shake a stick at. But there's also enough truth in here that I know whom I have believed and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep me until that day and maybe today God is speaking to you saying you've never been saved you've never had a relationship with me and today you'd be willing to walk down this aisle and just say a prayer and and repent of your sins and let Jesus come in take over your heart let me tell you something. You say, well, I do that, but there are too many people here. They love it. Let me tell you what these people are going to do. I'll tell you what they better do. They better lift their hands and say, praise the Lord. They better clap. They better get all excited and go tell everybody. That's what they'll do. There's nobody going to cast judgment on you. The only one casting judgment on you is the devil. He's the one that's doing that. And I know there's some here this morning that you need salvation. You need it. You need it. But I'm preaching to a lot more folks here this morning. A lot more folks. That you know you saved. But somewhere down the road, some hacked you off. You got off on the wayside. You dropped out. Boy, you need to come to this altar. You need to lead the way. Christians, you need to lead the way. Say, God, I'm somewhere between the wilderness and trying to swim out of that Jordan River. God said, that's not what I got for you. I got Canaan land for you. Milk and honey. The Word of God. The supplies of God. The sustenance that God gives. It can all be yours. Just remember this, though. If you can live in Canaan... That means you can choose not to live in Canaan, too. God help us to make the right decision. I, I love the Happy Goodmans. I tell you, Vestal was my hero. I, the first time I met her was in 1977. I would rented the Texarkana Community College Auditorium, and I had the Happy Goodman family and the Lefebvre's. Now, this was a long time ago. And lots of things have changed. But the Lefebvre's were about half a sheet under the wind. They put on a good program, but they were just about tanked up. And the Happy Goodman sang. And after that concert, I was back where the buses were and all, and Old Vestal gets on the Lefebvre's bus and just tears them up. I mean, just tears them up. This is the last verse to that song. Satan may have you bound with fetters strong. Look up to higher ground. It'll not be long till Christ the Savior your soul is found. You'll sing this song. I'm living in Canaan now. Father, thank you today for the Word of God. that speaks to our hearts. Lord, would you have your way. Oh, God, we plead today for those whose souls are in the balance. Those that if they walked out of here today and couldn't make it back tonight, God, they would spend eternity separated from their loved ones. Oh, God, today save them. Please, dear God, save them. Lord, for others that need to make decisions. There's some in this place that need to come and make this their home and say, I want to go to work for the Lord, be a part of the kingdom of God here at Woodland Hills Baptist Church. Lord, may this be their day. Would you be honored and glorified? Touch people? Save people? Reconcile people? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand together? Brother Aaron leads us. Would you lead the way? Christian, lead the way.